Welcome to the Flower Hour Podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. Hello and a good evening to everyone. You're joining me here on Flower Hour episode seven if you could believe we've made it to seven episodes now so i'm looking forward to this man um i'm going to be joined by brandon today he's a 22 year old um, model poet creative um, born in manchester but also grew up in london and jamaica his interests align with the arts such as music film literature um and he's currently yeah based in london he's wrote a poetry book called innate and we're going to be discussing the black movement, um, being young, black and male. And we're also going to be talking about where do we see the future for us as a people. So I just want to say thank you for locking in and joining. Share with your friends, your family. These are going to be conversations that we all need to have. So yes, Brandon, come on, lock in, man. I'm just going to wait for people to just slowly bring, jump in, jump in. So yeah, hope everyone's also had a good day as well. It's raining today, so yeah. Thank you. Yes, Jordan, what are you telling me? I'm good, man. You can jump in, Brandon, whenever you're ready. All right, cool. Let's get this. Yes, brother, how are you? What are you saying? You all right? I'm good, man. I just picked up a little vegan chocolate drink. Oh, is that the little one from m and um, it's the one from Sainsbury's after they sell it. Oh, I am okay. not. Yeah, yeah I man. Um, I kind of take like this vegan pri- probiotic now. Um, yeah. Just for like stomach and stuff. Probiotic but, and prebiotics are so important, man. For the, for the stomach and digestion and that. So. Yeah, man. So I introduced everyone to you via the bio you wrote for me, but I want to let you introduce yourself to the people that don't know who you are and what you do. Uh, I hate these because it's like, in psychology, it's always... How you, I guess, tell someone, like, your first impressions is kind of how you perceive yourself. Like, mm. the most important aspects of my being. But I, I always kind of question them because I'm like, is that what I'm about? But, um, <laughs> hi, um, my name is Brandon. I'm 22 years old. I'm based in London. Uh, I guess I can consider myself an artist now. I have an author as well. I kind of, like, write poetry is my thing. I'm an overall creative uh, theater is something that I'm into, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too sure how to describe myself. Um, I come from an array of backgrounds due to moving about. Okay. That was, that was fun. Jamaica primarily. That's that's where most of my upbringing took place. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's me. Well, you're also a model. You're an author yeah, as I'm well. Sure. It's, oh, kind of, I guess, I guess, I guess. Nah, man, listen, yeah, like, 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 you have to come with that big, big energy, man. You've got to big up yourself, I know, man. I know, I know, you're right. Like, I'm here to promote your stuff and to have the conversation, but do you know what? What we can do, I just want to make sure everyone knows, as you're watching, send questions through, go and check out Brandon's work, check out my work. It's going to be a great conversation. But, Brandon, listen, my first question to you is, you're an author. You wrote a book called Innate. Could you tell us more about your book? Okay, so uh, for the past five years, I've been kind of writing poetry and sporadically releasing excerpts just whenever I could. 
And it came to a point where people were just like, yeah, you should just make a book because it, it just makes sense. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll just do it as a sample. And the poetry that I kind of created for the book specifically was for people. It's, it's called Innate because I wanted to make it about the experiences that we collectively experience, just like things that we mo like most of us will go through at some point in time. Like everyone's going to go through a heartbreak and, and things like that, but just more specific and more, you know, in, in that regard. So, and it kind of did well. I say kind of, it did do well. Um, I'm kind of working on my second one right now just because of how well that did. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was wow. it. That was the direction. So what, what's your second one going to be on and what inspired your first one? Right. Um, I guess the inspiration for the first one is just trying to, because I've always liked things that you can read where you can resonate with it. Like you, you can read words and you're like, oh, this person might know me. Like if I was to run into this person and we accidentally engage in conversation that we would be able to hold it for a lengthy period of time. And that's just because, you know, certain backgrounds, certain upbringings like mesh together. And I was like, okay, I kind of want to do that, but in like poetry form to the point where if you read this, you will kind of understand where I'm coming from. You know, you'll feel some sort of connection. And I think that was achieved. I did get some messages saying, oh, this flipping hurts. And I was like, yes, it does because it's supposed to. And I'm glad to hear that. But yeah, the second one, the one that I'm currently working on, um, the theme, it doesn't have a theme yet. It's just supposed to be bigger, but like, it kind of got disrupted. Like I had an idea for it before lockdown. And then when lockdown happened, I kind of was like, this is kind of pointless now. Like this feels dumb because this is kind of like shaken up what my entire understanding of what reality is. You know, I had to kind of come to the conclusion and accept that life is just a bunch of experiences and nothing is guaranteed to be guaranteed to be a constant. So it's just, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't too sure. So for the second one, I guess we'll just have to see what it's about. Um, I'll come to my conclusion eventually, but I don't have it yet. Okay. So um, I know you said you've lived a bit nomadically and you've been influenced by a lot of the places you've been. Yeah. So where have you been and just how has it influenced you as a young man? Okay. Um, so I was born in Manchester. I don't tell anyone this, but <laughs> this is a, this is a sad reality. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was born in probably the worst part of Manchester, Moss Side, specifically. Okay. And, uh, huh? Okay, no, I was saying okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I uh, moved to London, then I moved to Wolverhampton, then back to London. And then I moved to Jamaica at 12 years old. Um, spent a few years there. Oh, represent 0161. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we lived in Jamaica for uh, six years, then we went to New York. Uh, that was fun. America's a very strange place. I'm glad I left when I did because, yeah, mm. they, they are they're an interesting people with an interesting culture. And it's very, it's very dominant. You can kind of feel it. Like whenever you get to the States, especially when you look. Like when I first arrived as a 17-year-old in New York, I was interrogated for two hours. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah, because uh, apparently I had ties to the Middle East. And I was like, do I look? Like, even, like, it doesn't matter if I looked Middle Eastern or not. Like, how, what is this even based on, realistically? But, yeah, that was just, yeah. But America did shape me in a lot of ways. I got my heart broken for the first time there. Um, I learned so much in such a short period of time. I had so many experiences that I have dreams about to this day. Um, after that was Japan. And then we came back here to London. 
Yes, and we've been here for a year now. Okay. Yeah. And what and what was um when we commonly think of Jamaica, we commonly think of Jamaica as somehow the only Caribbean country. You know, I'm from yeah. Trinidad. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, everyone yeah. always asks me, is Trinidad <laughs> a part of Jamaica? And yeah. I'm like, yo, what? I like are there no other countries in the Caribbean now? Listen, yeah. Like, listen, we're the, the representation of the Caribbean. In literally, America. that it's Jamaica right. is the powerhouse seemingly of the Caribbean. See, the thing is, ironically, because Jamaica um, economically, obviously, isn't the best, but culturally, it's yeah, so I rich. Fully, because like my dad was telling me he went to Egypt, right? He went to Egypt and like yeah. he was driving, and then there was this little shack in the middle of this desert. Yeah. Kind of and they were selling Jamaican merchandise yep. with reggae music playing. And he walked in and he was baffled because it's like, how does that make any sense? We're in the middle of Egypt, in the middle of a desert, and this man is selling Jamaican merchandise. How did he even get here? And it's like, you know, we're local, but we're Talawa, and that's just how it is, you know? Like, we're everywhere. We're a small island with a population of, like, two million. And yet, there's, like, so much influence, so many strings that you can pull in terms of culture, you know? The originators of hip-hop. Gangtings, DJ Cool Herc, you already know the vibes. But yeah. Absolutely. How, yeah. how important do you think the density of Jamaican culture has had on the world? So when we think of Jamaican culture, we think, um, you know, Bob Marley, we mm. think of um, so many different groups. But unfortunately, when it came to um, Windrush, we yeah. know how much came on um, the boat. Um, well, it's a massive ship in reality. Yeah. I want to ask you, as, a, as someone who's lived in Jamaica, people that have served the country and served for so long, do you think there's almost a disconnect as to the young people that have grown up, you know, under the Windrush generation? Because you've been exposed to the richness of Jamaican culture. Right. So you're asking other me, people. So you're asking if there's a difference between second, third gen Jamaicans yeah, and like, actual Jamaican people yeah there's a massive difference like there's a huge difference because technically speaking i'm second gen right so mm. when i when i moved to jamaica it's like i was a foreigner completely but at the same time eventually it came to a point where i you know obviously like ingrained myself like you, you assimilate eventually at some point and then they kind of accept who you are and you know you still have your little quirks and that set you apart but at the same time they kind of do eventually recognize you as one of them but it's it's like that with any any place really like you know second third gens that grow up in a different country and you know the, their culture belongs like in their household mostly that's where they mostly experience it and they grow up in it there is kind of a disconnect from when because there's only so much you can contain in a household culturally you know if you can't step outside and then participate in your culture there you kind of lose a certain aspect of it and just like for example like the way that you walk like i walk like a jamaican just because I grew up there, but I never used to grow up. I never used to walk like that. Yeah. And it's just, because the thing is my dad and my granddad and, and my other family members, like you can tell, like I know it's them <laughs> just from walking, you know? Yeah. But, like you can just see it and you're like, right, okay. But you, you see it with the other Jamaicans too, that they walk a certain way because, you know, <laughs> they're just proud people. And I feel like a lot of people lose that because obviously when they move to, you know, a Western country, they have to assimilate in certain ways at the, the cost of like, you know, the genuine culture, the, the things that influence you, the thing that puts a pep in your step. And it's like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a massive difference. I, I, this whole diaspora war of, like, are Jamaicans, like, if you were born in London, you're not a Jamaican. But it's like, well, I, I get it because it's obviously a nationality. Nationality-wise, we're not Jamaican. But there is, you know, like, I did grow up in the culture, you know. But at the same time, 
I do understand their argument because before I went to Jamaica, yeah, like even though I grew up in a Jamaican household, a Jamaican community, like all my friends and like, you know, family friends were all Jamaican. When I moved to Jamaica, I was like, what is this place, bro? <laughs> what is this place? Like, I love the place, innit? <laughs> I, I love Jamaica, yeah, but I could never live there again. I'm going to tell you that I can't, I could never live there again. Really? I couldn't do it, man. I could not. <laughs> like, I, I love like you can you can find yourself there. You can realign yourself there. It's a perfect place for tourism. But like I personally, just like especially when you're a city you yeah, it's like there's too many things that you can't over like you just can't overlook. Like everyone is just it's just too laid back, bruv. Like you can't you can't depend on no one for nothing. And it's like you you like at first you're kind of pissed about it, but then after a bit you're like Right, this is just the reality. When someone says they're going to do something in this certain time, you're like, right, let me add an extra couple business oh, days to the to the situation because it's not happening when you think it is. You kind of have to uh, adopt that and be like, this is just how it is, you know? And I can go through that again. So I'll definitely visit. I'm going to bring my, my, my offspring there. I'll probably die there. But yeah, I couldn't. Not, not while I'm young and able. I'm not. It's not happening again. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I know Jamaica has the second biggest brain drain in the world. Guyana is yeah. first, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So a lot of Jamaicans flock to the western parts of the world. And what I mean by brain drain is simply the intelligent minds that come from Jamaica go out to the other parts of the world and add to their economy. And you said yeah. yourself, you, would, you wouldn't want to live there. You would only go on holiday there, but you'd like to die there. How do you think we could do more as people right. that don't live in Jamaica or in other Caribbean islands? See, the thing is, I'm not opposed to... Because the thing is, I wouldn't live there again, but I would definitely, like, if I was to become, like, a public figure, I had, like, access to large amounts of resources... I would definitely go back to Jamaica and start helping in terms of like infrastructure, providing opportunities for the youth. Because if one thing, one of the things that stifled me in Jamaica specifically was the lack of creative opportunity. And I felt imprisoned because realistically in the third world, everyone is focused on survival. So academics is the thing that everyone is going for. Meanwhile, yes. I know that there's more to life than simply going down the academic route, as opposed to when you grow up surviving that this is the most sure and definite way of making a living in your life that you will pursue these things chemistry and whatnot and you will get a job out of this meanwhile i know that there's other ways of doing that and that was something that kind of stifled me but at the same time if you, jamaicans are creative is like when you when i lived there the amount of things that i've seen the amount of things that I've, we're talking like flipping elon musk level things with like the bare minimum resources all right. This is just how people are out there. Like they just come up with things like and you know, if, if you were able to provide resources and, and you know, just opportunities for people to use that creativity to create things, it would be it would be far ahead, isn't it? It would just be far ahead. And you know, it sucks to see. But I'm definitely like obviously when I get to my position of like comfort, I'm able to like when I when I have access to actual resources and stuff, I'm definitely gonna go back to Jamaica and sort some stuff out. Definitely. I have land there already, but we're going to be doing more just because it's important to and it's very necessary. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I, think that, I think that's what everyone should kind of be doing. In regards to the brain drain, it makes sense why people leave because, yeah, like I said, Jamaica's right now in, in its position, it kind of 
it doesn't force you out per se. You kind of have to stay there out of a loyalty. And the thing is, is that loyalty is kind of sacrificed with everything else the world has to offer in it. It doesn't, it's not like my loyalty isn't appreciated here as opposed to as it would in like the Western world. And it kind of sucks when you think about it, but that's just the reality, you know? So I feel like everyone who grew up in Jamaica, who is Jamaican that wants to see Jamaica as a much more prosperous place should definitely start investing it back in their country and their home, you know, and, and making things happen in that regard. Cause I plan to. So absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the mentality that more people need to have simply because I believe that the Jamaican government doesn't do enough to incentivize people to want to go back. Bro, I think that's same, a big issue. It's the same two party people for the past yep. five decades. And it's the same people, you know. Same to the same. same like exactly. literally the same people. And it, yep. my dad has been talking like he's been in power since I was a kid. And it's like raw. Like yep. nothing really changes. No one is given the opportunity to, to take the country into a new direction. It's the same thing. And it's, it's all manipulation tactics to the point where democracy doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, politicians are in bed with criminals and it's just a madness. Well, some Nothing people really say changes. politics is politics. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it sucks to see because you can get away with that kind of thing in the third world. Not to say that out here, you know, our governments aren't moving mad because they definitely are. You know, Boris Johnson is a waste man. And, you know, we have flipping Trump in that. But like, you know, in the third world, it's even harder because... You know, at least there you can kind of hold them accountable. You can't really get anything done about it, but there are ways of doing it. Like if enough of the population wanted this person gone, they could make it happen. But in Jamaica, that's never going to be a reality because, yeah, nah, it's it's not it's not the same thing. So yeah, and I wanted to ask. So you spoke about the loyalty, and I wanted to say, as a young, I wanted to ask you, as a young black man living in the UK. Do you feel that the system is loyal to you in accelerating your best interests? Obviously not. What? Definitely not. <laughs> Without any doubt. Like, it's, it's kind of hard to explicitly, you know, determine what specific... Thing. Like, I wouldn't say anything's holding me back, but I wouldn't say... I would also say that nothing is helping me in that regard. It's kind of like a neutral situation, you know? Although at the same time, you know, obviously that's the difference between the UK and the US is that the US is like outrightly racist. Like if some, I think, and I think I'd prefer that because it's like, I would know who my enemies are. But meanwhile, in the UK, everyone's like, no, nah, we're, we're one of the most least racist countries in Europe. And it's like, but that's not what your institutions are saying. You know, that's, that's not what your jobs are saying. That's not what everything else is saying. Like, you know, it, 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 like, it's a front, it's a facade that we are accepting, we are inclusive. But then where's the stats? You know, and then, then people will flip it and be like, well, you know, it's your fault. Like, it's your people's fault for not being in these positions. And that's not because these positions are never really offered. And then they're never really pushed for that direction, you know? So, yeah, I feel like, def like we have more opportunity to do stuff here, definitely. But there's still stuff that can be done. You know, it's still a madness. And it's, it's pretty obvious at this point as well. And so, when yeah. we think about the current political climate at the moment, Black Lives Matter as yeah. a movement has gripped the world and it's turned what many people would have seen as a moment into an absolute movement that I think, I believe will be remembered for the rest of time. Yeah. How do you feel about what Black Lives Matter has done? They've exposed a lot of racism. They've made racism and race a very 
relevant topic now that yeah. I think combined with COVID, we might not have had the opportunity to speak about. So yeah, yeah my question to you would be, how impactful has Black Lives Matter been? And where would you like to see Black Lives Matter as a movement go? All right, so before I say anything in this regard, anything I say has already been said by a black woman, okay? Everything. Can, can you guys hear me? It's kind of... Yeah, I can see you. I can see you. All right, cool. Everything that I'm, I, I say has already been said by black women, so start listening to black women, first of all, in that regard. But... Um, um, so can you repeat the question? That kind of threw me off. So my question to you was... How impactful do you believe Black Lives Matter has been? And where would you like to see Black Lives Matter move next? Right. So obviously with everything that's happening, um, there is like a real force for change. Like people are actually seeing what's happening. And it's, it's good because it's like we can kind of come to this collective understanding of what it is. Like you can't overlook this anymore. And over the weeks, we've seen blatant acts of like, police oppression like pushback like how dare you push back against us we're going to push back against you and it's clear-cut evidence now you can't present the argument that well you know not all police are bad because it's true technically speaking police not not every single police officer could be bad that's statistically incorrect but like i said before you know good cop bad cop they either cancel out or become the same like it, if good cops aren't calling out bad cops then they're the same they're complicit in what's happening and specifically this is just uh, it is the thing is with police brutality, it is, it's not the end goal. It's not the end goal. It's not the biggest issue. It is a symptom of the biggest issue. And it's something that it can be used to enlighten people on how the system works in that regard. Like police are essentially just enforcers of, you know, just the elite class. They protect the elite. They're not really, like, if we're going to keep it a buck, there was a, what was what happened? I can't remember. I think it was in Jersey. Um, where it became like community policing, they defunded their police and crime decreased by a large percentage. I don't know specifically what it was, but it just goes to show that like the the current police force really doesn't have anyone's best intentions in mind. You know, like it's like <laughs> like like Trump said the other day, if we stop testing, there'll be less crime. I mean, there'll be less cases of COVID. It's the same thing with policing. Realistically, obviously, like if it, it, it's like the opposite the, the reason why there's so much crime happening is because of over policing and people trying to get crimes out of people not to say that people don't commit crimes definitely but crime is predictable but at the same time you can kind of manipulate people to you know especially when you as a black person are more than likely to encounter charges and, and things just just based off things that other people do as well like in terms of like just in comparison to white people like black people are the only people that aren't afforded the ability to make a mistake you know, for example, a, a black guy can be murdered and then they'll dig for his past and be like, well, he wasn't exactly an angel. But then a white rapist can be let off just because his future is now in jeopardy. You know, and that's the difference. It's like one is perceived as, well, this person wasn't a good person. So obviously when this happened, his death is kind of accepted. But then someone else does something else. Right. And they're like, well, you know what? His future... He could change. He could be a better person. We shouldn't take away the, the whole part of the human experience where they get to progress and change and become better people. That's not afforded to black people. And I think people are kind of coming to realize this now because everyone was under the facade that, you know, we're in an equal society now, which is true. It's not, it's, no, no, not an equal society. We are far better 
than we were 30 years ago. We'll say that much, that we can, we can actually start businesses, we can do things, we can create stuff within our community. But at the same time, there are still a lot of issues that exist that hold and are a danger to black people. And you can't deny that. Anyone who does is being intellectually dishonest. So yeah, I think that's this specific movement has kind of um, opened a lot of people's eyes. Might not have done as much as we could, but it definitely is opening people's eyes. And that is pretty much what we can just push for, I guess, with this. So yeah. But where do you see the movement going next? Well, I see, okay, all right, all right, my bad. I didn't hear that last part of the question. Where, well, now, obviously, the end goal is flipping socialism. All right, that's pretty obvious. That's where everyone okay. wants to go to. But obviously, right now, what everyone's aiming for is like the abolition of the police. And I think if that was ever to become a thing, people could then present the argument of like more community-based services, social services, things like that being the thing that helps society because for the longest time we've relied on police for everything the police are enforcers of the law when someone is having an issue right we've lost the ability to resolve things immediately people are just like i'm calling the police and it's like the police weren't supposed to have this much responsibility in society anyway okay that's it was never supposed to be a thing and yet apparently people decided well this is it so police have too much power too much responsibility and we kind of have to give that power back to people so obviously when people are saying abolish the police, people aren't saying let's do away with any form of, you know, holding people accountable and responsible. We're just trying to make it more community-based and make it so that it's more redemptive because realistically the carceral system doesn't provide actual ways to rehabilitate. I can never say that word. Rehabilitate. So you would know, rather... A system of restorative justice aligned yeah. with rehabilitation yeah, yeah, that yeah. reintroduces people back into society. Yeah. So, yeah. People see pr prisons as punishment. That's it. It's a punishment. And you will not get better from it. If anything, you go to prison, you become a worse person just because of PTSD and the things that you experience in there. That's what people want. You do something to my family member, I want you to suffer. Which... It is understandable. It makes sense that that would be the human response. If you hurt someone I care about, I want you to suffer. But as a society, it's very important that we kind of adopt a different perspective in that regard, that crime and things like that, they take place because of just predictable things. You know, obviously there's, there's a few sickos in the world and psychopaths, and like, that's different. Like those people can outright go somewhere. But for the most part, most people commit these crimes just because well, realistically, you know, their position, their disposition in life is kind of not to absolve them of the responsibility because everyone has a choice. Two people can grow up in the same environment and become different kinds of people. But at the same time, if we eliminate the causes for why people commit these crimes, then, yeah, it is what it is. So I guess we kind of just have to change our perspective on what punishment is, you know, trying to rehabilitate people. And yeah, yeah, I think that's what everyone's kind of going for in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, just pushing for the abolition of police. And it makes sense. It's reasonable. I'm for it. So, yeah. I think Dr. Umar Johnson said that the mother of all crime is miseducation and the father of all crime is economic castration. So the idea yeah. that um, miseducating young black people um, and reintroducing them into a society that doesn't have their best needs. And when you think about economic castration, the idea that we don't have enough opportunities available for us to make a fair and equal means to provide for our family. So yeah. I want to ask you, you said the end goal is um, socialism. 
Marxism yeah. is typically aligned again with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I see a lot of arguments on the right leaning side saying that Black Lives Matter does nothing for us because it's a Marxist movement and with the abolition of the police. My fear with abolishing the police is we could leave our communities a little bit too much at risk. As Malcolm X said that we are not outnumbered, we are out-organised. And as a people, as a people making up 3% of the population in the UK, we, oh, I, I believe it's we're worth and we spend 300 million a year. So if we pulled our money a black police force. Now, do you see a black police force being a tangible solution for the issues we have in our community? Heck no. Heck no. I don't know where this notion is, is that black people are incapable of being terrible people because as we've seen, we have black police officers and they still uphold white supremacy within the police force, you know? Like, that doesn't make any sense to be like, well, if we have a black police force, like strictly black, it's going to fix the issues. It's not. It realistically isn't. The end goal of all of this is kind of education, creating the understanding that, you know, everyone is equal um, and having this idea of betterment as opposed to punishment. That's the difference. Um, people like, for example, in the, in the police office, in the police force currently, they're just they're just looking like they have to meet quotas. Like, I didn't Absolutely. know this. I didn't know this until, like, two weeks ago. But they have to meet quotas of arrests and things like that. Otherwise, yeah, they, they do. receive yeah. less funding. And, like, that was a baffling concept to me because it's yeah. like, like, yo, you actually have to create issues if you guys want to keep your jobs. It's true. You actually have to do that. And that's one of the issues, too. Because it's like, there's a bunch of factors that go into this. So, yeah, um... I don't know if I, I, I don't, I've not really, I can't really speak on it. Maybe there's some more nuance to it that someone can provide to me in that regard for like a black police force. But I don't know, that doesn't really sound, because we're human beings, you know, we're all human beings. Some are more biased than others, definitely. But at the same time, everyone has the capacity to be a terrible biased person, you know? It, like, okay, as black people, we don't have, um, we don't have obviously the, the, the power to, to be racist and to, uh, I guess, oppress someone else. But it, it, it's a matter of minority versus majorities, if we're going to keep it a buck here, because that's just, that's just how it is in, in human beings. The majority is going to bully the minority. Not to say that it's okay, we should kind of push for more education in that regard, that it doesn't matter, and minorities are majority. Because it doesn't really, it shouldn't even exist in the first place. Why, why do we perceive it as that? You know, this is the majority. And this, I guess statistically it makes sense, but like when you perceive yourself as the norm as better just because there's more of you it kind of becomes this weird thing that's mm. in america they have a private prison system get rid of that and you begin to solve the problem definitely was, with private prisons i was what about to answer that um interestingly in the uk we have 13 private prisons the last time that i checked and yeah. whole foods halfords greggs they use um prison labor i believe if i'm correct um in sweden they, huh mns no, no, Greg's, Halfords, Whole Foods, from what I remember from my oh, research, okay. they use prison labor. So in Sweden, they're closing down prisons because they don't need prisons. They believe in restorative justice and rehabilitation. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. again, we both come to the conclusion that you've got to reintroduce people into society to give them what they really need. Now, yeah. Brandon, you made a video on your page that was a very passionate, a very heartwarming, and a very emotionally 
intuitive video. Could you explain to people that have or haven't seen that video what that video was about? Um, so essentially, Oliwa Toen, um, she was a 19-year-old activist. Um, she was pretty much, she was making cries for help on her social media. And then a couple of days later, her body was found on the roadside with another black woman. And she died at the hands of the people she was trying to protect, essentially. It was another black man that killed her. And it was someone that knew she was vulnerable, someone that she trusted, because at the time she was stuck in a church for, um, she was staying there because she was homeless. And it was the reason, the video itself, I, I, I get emotional thinking about it just because it's not, it's not a, a nice subject, I guess. But the reason why that video, why in that video I was like so, so hurt by it and so touched by it is because it's just understanding the reality that even with, like, let's say we were to get rid of white supremacy, we would still have this issue of black men with black women, you know, um, the whole colorist issue. And just, it, it's, it's always been a weird thing to me when dark-skinned people have treated their dark-skinned counterparts as lesser than, or to constantly disregard them and dismiss them. When they look, your mom looks like this. This doesn't make any sense. How would you, like, it, it, it never really connected with me. And just seeing, like, what happened to her, just to see how passionate she was to be at every every protest, speaking, talking about all these things, and then for her to just like be killed by the very people she wanted to protect, it was just such an issue for me. Um, just because I, you just know, like you just know, like when I growing up in Jamaica, I got into a fight as well over this same issue. Um, this this one black kid, he kept like messing with this one girl in the class like constantly, and it was like. Because he, he, was, he was also black and he just, he, he said he, he was always comparing her to like the lighter skinned girls and stuff. And I, 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 like when we got into a fight, I got suspended for like two weeks. But I just remember just being so angered by it because it didn't make any sense to me. Like it, it didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I was like 16 at the time. And I don't, it's just been a, a constant thing that I've, I've recognized regardless of where I am that there's this weird disdain for black women, you know? Like, that's my mom. My mom's a black woman. You guys, these people making these generalized statements. Back in the day when people were making these tweets and stuff and these, these status posts saying all of these, like, dehumanizing things, I never understood it. And it was, it was so hurtful, you know? And I just, I, yeah. I, yeah, that was the reason I made that video, just because I, I wanted to talk about it. I didn't mean to cry in that video at all. I didn't. Because my own, like, my, my sister, she's a black woman, too. And it's, like, she's experienced things. And the reason I, because something happened and, like, it kind of triggered me because, yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, man. I, I, I just said that we need to do better. We're not, I, I know there's, like, this whole argument that, like, no, this is, like, an agenda that's being pushed that black men don't care for black women. But, fam, black women themselves know this. They've said that it is their perspective that, even when they find someone attractive, they have to think in the back of their head that, oh, I hope that he's attracted to black women. You know, that he's not going to dismiss me, that he's not going to do these things just because of what I look like. And it's wild because I, if, if you put that in, in context, in a different context, that sounds like how white people would approach you, like how you would approach white people, you know? Like how does someone look like you move the same way that a white person does? Not, not that all white people move like that, but obviously a racist white person would move like that. That's what I mean. It's just like raw, you know?
lipstick. But yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that was... the fact you cried in that video says that you're incredibly emotionally, you're in touch with who you are. And I think a lot of black men should cry a little bit more and be in touch with our emotions. But you made a good point that a lot of black men, unfortunately, are not attracted to black women or perhaps some black women have to question black men to see whether they're even attracted to them. How do we come to a universal yeah. solution where we can sit down and have this conversation where we can heal the broken wounds of a past and work towards a more holistic future? What can we do specifically to do that? It's like we said, you know, obviously with more education in that regard, just because you, you kind of have to dissect what it is specifically that makes these people have such a disdain for black women, you know? Because even now, like the people who are making those tweets and moving mad five, six years ago, like I can maybe accept that they've kind of changed or progressed, but at the same time, I can kind of, th I, I still think that maybe in the back of their heads, they still think something. When they see someone, like obviously when they're like looking at women and stuff, just like in the sense of like who they're attracted to, there's a little nagging comment in the back of their head that is like degrading in some sense, you know, that they'll be outright like, yeah, no, it's cool. I love black women. And then at the same time, when it comes to like the whole dating concept, it's like, and that they still have that kind of weird thing. And, you know, obviously people can progress definitely, but I don't know when it's ingrained in you in the way that it has been to the point where people would say, cause no one else does that. No one else does that. No other race talks about their women like that. No one does to the point where it's like below human. Like no one else does that. And with, and it's like, it takes a certain level of unlearning that people have to go through. And even then, even then there's still, for me at least, I kind of, you know, I just, it never made sense to me. And what, can, one, sorry. what can black men do to protect black women more? That's an interesting question. Um, it depends, though. It, it depends on who do you think the biggest threat to black women are? Fathers who aren't there for their daughters. Okay. That's my opinion, like, because I believe the destruction of any family begins at home. If charity begins at home, a nuclear, a nuclear family is so important to a child to see a, a father a daughter, a father is a daughter's first love and their son's first hero. And I believe that when you look at the relationship that a lot of daughters have with their father, their father's not always as emotionally intuitive as they should be. They're not as emotionally present as they should be. Um, and I believe as, you know, parents wear the sins sometimes of their parents before and the children end up inheriting their sins. So I think black fathers could do better. But someone made a good point also that the media, I, you know, this is stuff I study, but I don't really talk about it. But if you look at the media, the mixed race representation on there is bigger than the idea of having a black man with a black woman. There was a KFC advert that once, once you break it down, it was a black woman with a white man, mixed race children. There was other holiday adverts where it was black women, white men and children. And you wonder in your head, what do you teach children? Do you teach children that black women can't get with black men? But these are all questions that people have to ask themselves. But yeah. in my head, that the biggest threat 
is a black father that's not there for his children and especially for his daughter. I think people, we've got to heal from that trauma. But that's why I ask you, how can we as black men do more to protect black women? Yeah, like you said, be, like obviously when I start my family and everything, you have to take the responsibility in that regard for your children. You know, just because it's very important to be there. You are the first people that they meet and that they grow to love. You, you establish the foundation, essentially, just for all future relationships. And it's very important because a lot of people get taken advantage of just because they don't have that. And their first interaction, health, well, not even healthy, their first, yeah, their first interaction are with people that don't necessarily have the best intentions for them. You know? And then that can kind of, I guess, taint the way that they perceive relationships in the future that it's okay to accept certain things, you know, that you lower your standards, that it's okay to be talked to, to be treated in a certain way. And it's not, it's not acceptable at all. Because I feel like a lot of people, like, I don't know, it's always been baffling to me. Like, um, for example, my friend, uh, she posted a tweet that's going viral right now. And she was basically talking about her three-year relationship and how they've never yelled at each other. And then everyone in the comments is like, yelling isn't toxic yelling is a normal part of communication but yeah it isn't though because for one you know i'm jamaican i'm passionate definitely what i do is yell like me and my family yell that's yeah. what we do yeah but if it comes down to my partner i'm not going to yell at them just because i know for one you know that like it's 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 certain levels of respect and there's ways of getting your points across without having to raise your voice because once you shout you're trying to drown out what the other person is saying you're not listening what is it? Talk. Raise your argument and not your voice. Exactly. You're out here just, you just want to just shout in their face and not listen to what any... Because once you shout, no one's listening. No one's listening because it's too loud. All right? No one's listening at the point. So it, it, it's, it's, it's very important that obviously when you have a family and stuff that you create that foundation within your children for them to understand how important it is to have boundaries, to have standards. And if people don't meet those standards, to just be like, go on. Touch road. Just, just go because it just makes sense but I feel like a lot of people put up with things just because they don't know any better and that's probably one of the biggest ways to protect people not to say that women get themselves into these situations definitely not but it's also good to obviously to know when a person isn't good and this person isn't meeting your standards to see the red flags and to be like no I'm not going to put myself through this I'm not doing this like at all you know and obviously mm -hmm. you can't blame people that don't have that foundation because you know that's and it's not their fault that they go through these things. It's just very important to teach future generations that they can avoid certain situations by, I guess, being more discerning in that regard. But at the same time, teach your sons. Like, on the other flip side of the spectrum, definitely, obviously, teach women to have standards, but teach your sons to not move mad in the way that they do, to respect people, you know? Because there's, there's way too many videos, there's way too much documentation of men being outright disgusting towards women just because they can, just because they can get away with it. And it's just, it's just poor upbringing, mostly. So on both sides, yeah, the, the, obviously all the, most of the problems that people experience and, and grow to develop as habits comes from the home. Definitely. You know, and, and it's important for families. And even if it isn't just, you know, a husband and a father, any kind of relationship, as long as it's, like, two people that are, like, in, like healthy, you know? Like, if, if it's a co-parent situation, that it's healthy, that they, they teach things to their child, that it's important to instill these things, you know? 
that's what I believe at least anyway in that regard that it's it's very important that these kids get these foundations and stuff and and obviously you know because obviously we, we've been through the whole you know single parent situation and you know not I'm not slandering anyone that obviously had a single parent kind of situation obviously definitely not but there is kind of a lack in that regard and it, it sucks it sucks because I come from a been healthy two-parent home you know and it's like what do you know and I'm like I don't you know I don't but I've I've seen things like growing up in Jamaica Jamaica's one of the biggest places for single parent homes yeah. and you see how their societies the crime is steadily increasing the economy isn't really doing the greatest and things are just every literally there was a study that at least 60 to 70 percent of people that live in Jamaica have a personality disorder but and that's that's what makes Jamaica a funny place because every day you go out you will see something mad happen yeah just because people have no gauge for normal interactions things either go a hundred and that's it like that's it basic interactions can become anything crazy and it's funny to us because it's like we're thinking from a perspective it's it, we're thinking from a perspective of, of normalcy they're like well i would react that way if someone did this i would kind of you know no but so when you see that it's like it's funny to you because it's crazy but realistically it's not okay single parent homes aren't issues that the parents don't get on okay that too definitely stop having children with people you don't like i guess if you if you can't see the future if you don't like even if you're not as a permanent relationship like something that you can stay with this person till your dying day. Make sure you at least like the human being just so that if you guys have to raise a child together, they won't be an incredibly difficult act. You know? But yeah, because realistically, we do have to account for the fact that there's going to be some accidents. Some things do happen. You know? Like sometimes some people are brought into the world without pre-planning. <laughs> or All drop right? your ego and be amicable for the picnic then. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes it's going to happen, isn't it? And for those that it does happen to, you now have the responsibility to put your pride aside, you put your own selfishness aside, and make sure that your kids are taken care of, that they have understanding of the world, that you prepare them for what the world is, all right? and do better. That's literally all it is. <laughs> so yeah, I'll just drop you. You go and be a microphone. <laughs> I think. I think. Unfortunately. It works two sides. I grew up in a single parent home. My dad died on Christmas Day when I was six years old. And he was an amazing father. I was told quite a lot he was a good dad. He took care of me. My mum did a great job. But I think there's things that a mother... a mother Mums don't raise men. And I think a lot of people don't like to hear that. It doesn't take away from the good a mother does. But I think a father has a very special impact on a child, just as a mother does, you know. With mothers, there's a biological bias. You know, they look after us, they take care of us, they nurture us. But I think there's something so critical and so pivotal, pivotal about having a really good father. And I think fathers sometimes end up on a back foot and they end up on a, um, in terms of, a mother can do something wrong. A boy will forgive her or a child will forgive her. If a father does something wrong, he doesn't get that same treatment and that same forgiveness sometimes. But that's me speaking from my experience and I'm not speaking universally, just in case people get triggered sometimes. So Brandon, I've got to ask you a question. How important has the movement right now for Black Lives Matter been to your identity? And have, have you come away from this kind of 
space at the moment, feeling more positive and optimistic for us as a people? Definitely. I've, I've definitely come away from it feeling more positive and optimistic. Absolutely. Um, what it does for me and my identity is that it's, it's validating in the sense that, like, it's... Because, like I said, I've, I've, I've like, ever since the Trayvon Martin situation when I was, like, 14, 15, 14, 15 years old, um, I remember, like, just reading about it. It was, like, on the news and it went crazy. And I just kind of, like, in my head, I was thinking, I was like, yo, like, this is actually not okay. Like, this is a system. This is, this is a kid that was just killed by a person. Nothing's going to happen to him because of the system that is upheld. And it's like, this is the life of many people. And this exists, anti-blackness is global. And this is something that I'm, I might not necessarily experience the brunt of it, but I am going to experience this. And this doesn't make sense to me because I'm a person that likes to see things happen fairly. And so it's kind of nice to see that I'm not alone in my thinking that when I go to a protest, like I've been to, that I'm surrounded with people that are like-minded, that, that have similar interests in that regard, that, that want to also see change. Yeah, it's kind of, it's helped me. It's made me feel a lot happier in that regard. It gives me hope in terms of the generation that people aren't stagnant with what's happening, that they're not complacent and accepting of, of their treatment. There's, you know? yeah, there's some people that would argue with our generation and the generation before us, they're creating a cultural reset where yeah. we challenge things and we throw the ugly in with the good. We take it all on. We no longer allow things to just slip by. When, when I went to the protests, I saw some white liberals and some black people, um, typically what I would define as anarchists, using yeah. the crowd's emotions to throw things at the police, just to spark up a riot. And Listen. my issue is, yeah. with some of these protests being so worldwide and so you know, global or so local, so national, some people are conflating their anarchist ideologies and putting it in with black people's emotions. Because we know as a people, we're quite emotional. We've been through a lot. And now we're getting in touch with it. Do you not hold, have, did you see that at all in the protests? It's racism. It's racism. Like we have outright racists that want to fight against us. And then there's racists that will pretend to be our friends, to pretend to be our allies, but to use the momentum and the energy of the protests for their own causes. It's racism. Absolutely. It's racism. That's what it is. Your cause doesn't matter to me. I'm going to use this energy just so I can do what I want. That's mm. what it is. If I see anyone doing that, if I, see, if I go to a protest and I see anyone moving mad just because they want to, especially if they're white, I'm going to get pissed just because, like, I don't want to see that and we're not having it. Just because, like, and that's, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you're going you're gonna to sit up in my face and be like, yeah, I'm for your cause and everything. Like, if you see those videos um, of that one girl that was spray painting the, the flipping Starbucks and then when they confronted her, they was like, yeah, Black Lives Matter. We're here for the cause, and like people are outright telling them stop doing this, but they continue to do it anyway. And at that point, if you get sparked in the face, no one is going to stop it because realistically, you're not here for us. You're here for your own energy, for your own things. So it's just mad. So uh, there's like there's nothing really. It's objectively racist. That's what it is for people to just dismiss everything that's this movement is about for the sake of their own causes. And no, we can't have that. We actually cannot. Um, we're in the last nine minutes. So if anyone's got any questions for Brandon, shoot them through. Because I think everyone's just been listening and soaking up what you've been saying, Brandon. <sighs> like, yes, yes. Everyone's been soaking that. But 
what would be your advice to humanity alone, um, irrespective of color, race, religion? What would be your advice to people now as we move forward in the future? Um, uh, I guess develop an open mind. Um, take away listen, like everyone is biased in their own ways. Um, that's just the human condition. But release yourself from your biases. Listen to what people have to say, regardless of what you think. Um, make room for black women to speak. Okay, because I can make a speech, you know, and I, I, I can be regarded as articulate. And then a black woman will say the same thing and no one will listen to what she has to say because she's automatically deemed as aggressive. And yeah, uh, if there's, if, if I can drop type, like Instagram justice for black lives, people follow that in London. Please go do that. Um, there's a bunch of other speakers that I could name drop as well. At some point, if anyone wants to know who they are, just message me and I'll DM because they're important. They have good things to say and it's, they're just well, powerful speakers. Just tell them we'll to say. come and jump on my live. Tell them to jump on your life. Yeah, man. Tell them at any Calm. point. I'm Listen, I say this to everybody that my life is a space where anyone can come and talk, irrespective of who you are. I want to hear from everyone. I want everyone to have the opportunity to come and speak. So I'm more than happy. I think, okay. someone, I think someone put a question. Oh, um, Kaya said, no f questions, just thank you. And I suppose that's to you, Brandon. Oh, thank you. No, no, it's all right. Um, yeah, we're just talking, isn't it? We have to have, no, have that Um, what does the future hold for you, Brandon? Uh, where do you see yourself in a couple of years' time? So this question is always funny to me because obviously, like, I feel like a lot of people can resonate that at 16 years old they didn't really think they'd get this far, which is a really morbid thought. Mm. But yeah, it's really morbid. But um, in a couple of years, I'll have a cafe. I'll be happy. Um, I'll still be fighting for things. I'll still feel passionate. I won't allow myself to be desensitized. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be good. I'll be in a good position. I'll be taking care of the people around me, hopefully. You know? I love that. We have a question that says, what action will you take personally to ensure our grandchildren aren't facing the same issues we are facing today? Well, I plan to, in the future, create some sort of institution that would provide opportunities to people like myself or just people in general that want to do things and don't really feel like they have, you know, the, the platform for it. That's definitely something I want to aim for. I want to create something just for my kids that they can uphold in terms that holds the same things. Like it, it kind of sucks to think about it. Like you can't really, you can't force your future offspring to be good people, but you can hope you can create something. So that I feel like if we all make it our personal responsibility to create and leave things behind that people can kind of pick back up and to, to continue, like just in, whether it's black wealth, you know, things like that, just to, to create just this environment that our future grandchildren can be a part of to ensure that, you know, that we're taken care of, that we're safe and that, you know, we provide spaces and stuff. That's That's pretty much what I'm going to do personally. I don't think I, it's not about changing the world because not one person can do that. It's about changing yourself and then everyone else following suit. So yeah, so that's what I, that's what I'm gonna do. You so got get you hmm? got you got a round of applause for that. So I Thank suppose you. that fully answered it very well. Someone had another comment: is the problem is the people who incite for their own interests completely disregard the issue at hand. And don't no. listen to black people themselves. Reevaluating the actions, position in society are key. 
Fully. Um, yeah, like I said, it's racism, essentially disregarding uh, our issues just for the sake of your own. Literally, that's all it is. Like, that's just the simplest form of it. I don't care what you have to say to present in that regard. If, if, you've, if you come to a Black Lives Matter protest with the intent of causing chaos, knowing that Black people are going to be at the brunt of the damage, that the media is going to be the ones on Black people's necks saying this was not a peaceful protest, this was something that was now aggressive and angry, if you're going to do that knowing that it's the message of the peaceful protest is now going to be disregarded, you're a waste man, and I hope someone sparks you in the face. And if I'm covered up, it'll be me. If my face is covered, it'll be me. I can promise you that. Thank you. But anyway, yes. Brandon, when, on a lighter note, when can we look forward to your second book and where can we find your first book? Right, so my first book is available on flipping Amazon, which we're doing away with. I'm actually going to stop because we don't support flipping Jeff Bezos, okay? Look, I released it flipping last year, March, okay, before we became anti-Amazon. So I'm going to take it off there and start self-publishing pretty soon. But, um, yeah. Yeah, we don't, we, we don't want to contribute to that guy. But, um, yeah, I might just take it off and then, yeah. But the next one will be hopefully done by September, October, around then. I'm open okay. to it. But, yeah, man. So then Thank when you. that book comes out, we're going to be talking about that book as well. Absolutely. Also, working on a flipping EP, okay? Um, I have little songs out. Nice. Right come on. We have little songs. We have we have uh, Train Spotting and Tarantino in all stores. So let me know <laughs> what y'all think. But yeah, we're working on the EP. And yeah, that's what we're doing. What are, I'm looking at the back of your um, where you are. I'm seeing books. Could you give the audience and people that are going to watch this later three recommendations that they can go away and read or you would recommend? All righty. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Okay. This one's pretty good. Alrighty. Okay, I know this book seems a little bit um a little bit manipulative. It is, okay. It's essentially the power of the art of seduction. It's very it's essentially weaponizing your ability to interact and charm people. I know it sounds evil, but two minutes if you left. want this, huh? We have two minutes left. Two minutes left. Okay, this one's like really good if you want to kind of become that kind of person that is much more confident, able to talk to people, I guess. I'm not too sure. The books I'm reading aren't in here right now. This is kind of just where I store them. The rest of my books are in my room. Um, but let me think. Let me find two more. Uh, what was the most... Uh, there's another one I was reading that's actually related to this uh, I think I'm keeping it in here. There it is. God. All right. Freakonomics. Freakonomics is a really good book. There's also another one called Super Freakonomics. It's, uh, it's an economist, essentially. He draws a lot of connections in society. A lot. Um, yeah, I don't know how else to tell you that. It's a very okay. strange book. I can promise you. One of the excerpts you can find in one of my Instagram posts. The one more book, quickly. One more answer. quick. Quick. Okay, okay, okay. If you are Jamaican, it is important that you read this book. It is Blood Bullets and Bodies. All right, Blood Bullets and Bodies. This is specifically referring to the 80s and 90s Jamaica. Um, a lot of people don't know what happened, 
Jamaica was a very prosperous country. Things kind of happened politically that kind of led it on the downward spiral that it is a part of today. There was a lot of fascism taking place that nobody seems to know about. But yes, yes, this is, this is that. But anyway. Brandon, listen, thank you so much for the conversation. Those book recommendations I hope people will be tuning into. I hope you can see me. Has it cut out? No. We were doing so well. I think it's cut out. We were doing so well. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow, and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing that is conversations. And remember, Flower Hour is the podcast where conversations blossom.